This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. Hello, everybody. Hello. Howdy. Hey, I've, I've called you all in here today to talk about uh, our one of our ongoing series of Philip K. Dick's stories. This one's called Upon the Dull Earth by Philip K. Dick himself. And uh, I got sent you a PDF of uh, the original publication in the magazine, uh, which I thought, when I, when I was reading the story a while ago, I think I mentioned this, that, that it was from the late, later part of his career. But it's actually not. It's from 1954, which is actually the second year of his his publication. So I thought I thought all the literary sort of uh, qualities had flourished as mm-hmm. he had uh, grown as a writer. But well, apparently it didn't take him very long. Uh, <laughs> only two years, and in fact, he was never more uh, prolific than in those first few years of writing short stories. Anyways, uh, his novel novels came later. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a magazine I'd not wasn't super familiar with before I found this. Uh, it's called Beyond Fiction, and I think it was uh, says yeah it's it's a twin of Galaxy Magazine. So Galaxy Magazine was edited by uh, HR HR Gold HL Gold, uh-huh. and um, I, I guess it was pretty successful, and so they decided to make sort of a more fantasy-related magazine. I don't think it lasted very yeah, long. But what, would you would you call this story fantasy? Yeah. So, okay. uh, um, I think it's both. Or is it paranormal romance? <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's definitely suburban uh, romance or suburban something, right? Mm-hmm. Or urban? No, not urban. Uh, rural, rural romance or something like that. I love the setting on this one. In fact. You love the setting. Yeah. I've, I, like I said I, before the podcast started, I've read this story several times. Uh-huh. And I, one of the things I, I did uh, was try and figure out where it's, where it's set. Uh-huh. And I, it's, not, it's not entirely clear, but it's certainly not set in Chicago and it's certainly not set in New York because those are the places he's driving towards as opposed to away from mm-hmm. later on in the story. And yet there's cedars, and uh, it's sort of a, it's a great setting. You guys didn't notice that? Well, I'm, I didn't notice anything striking about the setting. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, why don't we, why don't we, uh, <laughs> give, uh, who wants to do a, uh, a story s- sort of premise for us? Well, I can, I can start it up. Um, so there's a, a, a lady named Sylvia. <clears throat> And her, um, is it her husband or her boyfriend? Um, her Rick. fiance. Her fiance. Okay, so fiance. he was in between. All right. Yeah, they were they were going to get married. Okay, um, but she is trying to summon some angels. Um, I guess I'm unclear as to exactly why she's doing so. As I as I talk about it, this is the first time I've tried to describe the story to somebody. Um, so she's trying to summon it, and and this is one thing that leapt out because I think this came up on the podcast before. Is one, the way that she's summoning it is by digging a hole and putting uh, lamb's blood in it, which is from the Odyssey, 
And was that another mm-hmm. was that another Philip K. Dick story that that was in? Uh, Where did that I come think, up in our podcast uh, before? Well, I, you know, oh, on Stranger Tides. Oh yeah. yes, that's where his it was. First, yep, that's where it was. His first. That's right. It's in the it's in the very beginning of On Stranger Tides, <clears throat> and it's actually a replicated scene. And of mm-hmm. course, you guys know that Tim Powers was a friend of Philip K. Dick's, right? Right. Right. Yep. That's right. So, right. Uh, he, Dick probably said, "Hey, hey, check out this scene in Chapter Nine <laughs> of the Odyssey. It's it. awesome." No, he, he probably said, "You're right. It is cool." Right. Right. Um, okay. And so it's, she, it's a it's a fun scene. Yeah, it is. That's really cool. And it, yeah, and it it mentions it that it's from the Odyssey in this story as well. Um, okay, so, they, so they she, turn she's she's trying and like blood comes out. Yeah, there's a mechanical thing that has the blood in it. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, he does turn on a faucet weird. and blood comes out. <laughs> yeah. So what she's doing? She's trying to go uh, like to the other side. She keeps. Um, she wants to summon these angels because she's figured out that they exist, and um, she's trying to go to the other side, which is um, leaving our plane and moving on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Right, and Rick is arguing with her, saying, "What the heck do you want to leave for?" You know, so he's very upset. And yes. um, then she ends up. Um, I guess we're going to jump right. In, we're going to get right into spoilers, right? She does get it. She does get her Spoiler wish. Alert. Yeah, she's going to spoil the whole story. Don't right. worry. Yeah, don't worry. Okay, so she does end up. I don't think you can spoil it because it's so good. Yeah, yeah. So she does end up going to the other side, but it's it's somehow a mistake. She's they're arguing in the basement where she has all this stuff that she's collected, and um, she accidentally cuts her finger. Um, I guess they're in the basement hiding from the from the angels, right? And then she she cuts mm. her finger, she's, and now they she's basically summoning them again. So she says, "Rick, go get me a band aid or you know uh, whatever they called it." Mm-hmm. And then she he runs upstairs and she says, "It's too late. Just don't come down here." And she comes and she gets taken by these angels. Well, he's distraught, right. so he decides, "Well, I'm going to call them back." And I'm going to talk them into giving her back. So he does so. And um, the conversation between him and the, and the creatures when they're not lit up, that's kind of a striking scene too. Yeah, it is. Actually, yeah. it didn't strike me until this most recent reading. Mm-hmm. It's actually a little bit different from all the other scenes with the angels. Right, or right. Or Yeah. And um, so anyway, he, he talks them into giving her back. But in the process of doing it, they mess up the the balance. Would you call it? I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but the yeah. the balance of life, how life was created on on the Earth, or in I don't know if it's on the Earth or in the universe, but on the Earth is messed up. Basically, the rules that were set up were violated. So her coming back in in that direction, it's it's kind of like entropy. You can travel in one direction mm-hmm. easily, but you can't come back the other way without consequences. So when she comes back, um, it messes up the messes up reality. I guess is what you'd say. Uh, yeah. How's that? <laughs> it's that's pretty good. Okay. That's pretty good. All right. That's pretty good. Um, There's lots Emma, of. Would uh, you? Uh, let's go ahead. <clears throat> I, I was, I was going to say. Uh, 
she cuts herself when she's dragging out her her coffin or something. That's yeah, right. she's like laying next to she's her coffin or, or using or her coffin. She's leaning up against it, and then he he's kind of offended. He's like, you know, don't lay there. And he picks her up, and as she's getting up, she cuts herself on a nail. Yeah. So yeah, the imagery yeah, there. Yeah, she is... says it's her cocoon, and she's gonna turn into a butterfly using a coffin. Right. That's right. right. So. So uh, a couple of things that uh, okay, just in that scene, right? Um, you guys are actually um, you, you know that that's uh, what she says uh, right after she's cut, right? What does she say? She's, I cut myself. She says I cut myself, and she's very um, upset about it. She she starts right, to get hysterical, she said, right? I cut myself, right? I cut I myself. Cut she does, yeah. But if you actually look at the lines uh, preceding that. She didn't cut herself. He pulled her. Right. He, he, he forcibly grabbed her and tried to shake her away from, shake her out of what she was doing, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And every time she reappears later on in the story, she says the exact same thing. I cut myself. Rick, I cut myself, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, a lot. And then what happens right after she cuts herself? She dies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when Rick sees her, right, he is reminded of that scene over and over and over again. It's yeah. kind of like hell, mm-hmm. in a way. Right, um, right. <laughs> because Rick's hell. It is Rick's hell, right? Uh, because his, his, his only love is, is killed in front of him right after that happens. But if you, if you look at the scene in self, I'm going to see if I can find it here. Um, it actually says, okay, here, let's see. Here it says, this is, this is great, a great description, and it sneaks up on you. It says, see, Sylvia gasped, give me a hand, Rick. It's heavy, hardwood and brass and metal lined. It's hand stained and polished. And the carving, see, see the carving? Isn't it beautiful? (laughs) What is it? Rick demanded huskily. It's my cocoon, Sylvia said simply. She settled down in a contented heap on the floor and rested her head happily against the polished oak coffin. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck's wrong with this girl? It's a sick chick. It's a sick chick, absolutely. And then the next, uh, next line is, Rick grabbed her by the arm and dragged her to her feet. You can't sit with that coffin down here in the basement with... He broke off. What's the matter? Sylvia's face was twisting, twisting in pain. She backed away from him and put her finger quickly to her mouth. I cut myself when you pulled me up on the on a nail or something, and then mm-hmm. it happens, right? Right. So his fault. he that's right. He caused it, and so when he goes out into the woods in a, the scene shortly after she's incinerated, um, he's uh, it, it must be the next night, right? It must be the next night because he's mm-hmm. he's he's gone away and got a new he's gone to a New Jersey abattoir and and got. Uh, well, when <clears throat> when he w- summons the angels back, you mean? Yeah. He says in yeah. there that it was one week later because she says, oh, did it? it's been years and years and years. And he says, it's been one week. Right. You're right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which is also an so, interesting uh, yeah. number in the, uh, in the creation myth too. One week. At the end of one week oh. is when he rested, right? So yeah, seven. Uh, and that's a good story for your podcast, Scott. It, it really would be. This has got. This is full of Old Testament stuff. I totally, <laughs> and and New I Testament think, with the blood too. Yeah. It's it's got it's got more illusions per square inch than 
almost any other story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more, the more that I think Eric about Rocky it, the more like that I, I find. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And also I, I his description that, of God, too. I mean, during that scene where he's, um, Rick is talking to those, the angels who, who have decided not to light themselves up. It's like they are in this dark forest of trees and he's, I picture him mm-hmm. standing outside this forest of trees. So maybe that's, you know, interesting setting. And, yeah. um, so he's talking to them and they're standing in there like trees themselves and they haven't lit themselves up like angels and he's talking to them. And, um, in, in that scene, they, they describe to him how difficult it is to come the other way. And then they also say, the one who created life on this planet is no longer with us. He's mm-hmm. moved on to a higher place. That's right. Yeah. He's passed on upward. So he, they were saying, well, in order for her to come back, we're going to have to recreate something out of clay so that she can go into it because her body's been um, cremated. So they're saying, uh, but, you know, he's like, well, can't that be done? And they said, well, yeah, but the one who did that is gone. He's moved on uh, higher, and he can't come back either. So, anyway, yeah, it was yeah, interesting. In this, in the, in the PDF or the original story, uh, he is capitalized, right? So ah, we we know who know, he yeah. is, at mm-hmm. least in the sense it's either God or Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a case for making making the case that it, at least in some points they're talking about Jesus rather than God mm-hmm. um, for the he. But um, yeah, so I. Uh, just getting back to the setting a little bit. We've got it's set sort of on a, f- a rural farmy area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I'll just give you the the um, the first little paragraph here. It says Sylvia ran through the the night brightness between the roses and the cosmos and Shasta daisies, down the gravel paths and beyond the heaps of sweet tasting grass swept up from the lawns. Stars caught in the pools of water glittering everywhere as she brushed through them to the slope beyond the brick wall. Cedars supported the sky and ignored the slim shape squeezing past, her brown hair flying, her eyes flashing. And then we get the contrast of sort of, she's like a nymph or something running through the forest, and then we've got this this very uh, sort of elvish description, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get the contrast of Rick, who is... Of this world, he's like a 20th century guy, right? Yeah. says, wait for me, Rick complained, mm-hmm. as he cautiously threaded his way after her along the half-familiar path. Mm-hmm. Sylvia danced on without stopping. Slow down, he shouted angrily. Can't. We're late. Without warning, Sylvia appeared in front of him, blocking the path. Empty your pockets, she gasped, mm-hmm. her gray eyes sparkling. Throw away all the metal. You know they can't stand metal. So... As far as I know, there's no evidence that this this metal is in in the original The Odyssey. I've read it a, a couple different translations. I don't remember anything about uh, metal being a problem to to the original one. So, uh, what made me think about why? I mean, he's I, deliberately put this in here. Mm-hmm. What were you gonna well, say? Uh, I think in On Stranger Tides, Iron has a big. But is Iron Bed for Spirits too and on Stranger Tides? So I, I, I think it must be based on a myth somewhere. I think I think it is. I just don't think it's based on on the original, right? The original on the uh, Odyssey. The Odyssey, where he would he has a bronze sword, right? He's got a sword. He cuts the heads off of a couple of sheep to uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
to to provide the lamb's blood. Yeah, it also when when I was listening to it, it it made me think that um, you know if you if you continue on with the metaphor that you were describing, where she's not of the earth and he is of the earth, mm-hmm. then he's ridding himself of civilization so he can keep keep with her. That's right. Yeah. That's right, and and the way the way uh, the family she's got a whole family, right? She's got two sisters, mm-hmm. a mother, and a father who are all living in the same house with her. Mm-hmm. Um, he lives elsewhere. He lives in uh, an apartment somewhere. I'm not sure what city we're in, but he lives in an apartment in a city somewhere, and she lives in the countryside near a highway. But it's it's it, even in the scene where the next scene where. Um, where uh, Rick is doing the summoning uh, by himself, and he does it very crudely, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. have the elaborate system she, she's set up. She's got lamb's blood uh, that comes out on in tap. a wooden... Yeah, but in a wooden pipe, right? Because she can't have uh, anything metal. And right. it's got a wooden spigot, and it's, it's got an elaborate cooling system that's in the basement, right? Mm-hmm. And she, she's d- very deliberately figured out a way to do something very primitive over and over again uh, out in the garden. What, what does he do? He, he buys a couple of gallon drums of uh, blood from a New Jersey abattoir, pours them into the, into the pit, and then chucks them, chucks them off, off a, a little knoll or something down into the, into the trees, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He doesn't he's all about getting the job done real quick like mechanical and it actually says machine like at one point in the story. So mm. I think we've got a very much an inter- interaction between the science fiction the sort of hard uh, practical realistic version of uh the world mm-hmm. and then this sort of mystical uh full of fantasy elements version and it I, I think the interaction is really interesting so that's what you mean by both and that's that's interesting yeah yep. so it's both science yeah, fiction and, and fantasy at the same time <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> which is a, a, a very unusual sort of thing right mm-hmm. i mean the only other situation i i can think of like that was uh, i did you know i did the review of um inferno by larry niven and jerry pornell mm-hmm. and that that is a fantasy uh i think completely Except uh, the main character is a science, hard science fiction writer, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he tries to give hard scientific explanations to everything that's going on around him, which completely fail, right? Right, you right. Just can't get, mm-hmm. You just can't get the, the world to line up to the way <laughs> physics would say it should, it should work. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think this is a, a an interesting story, in, w- with at least respect to that. But um, I, lo- I love the the details, and I found actually the best way to read this story is to read it aloud, uh, not to have the audiobook or to to uh, just to to read it on the page, but actually to read it aloud with someone else. Hmm. Cool. Maybe with a loved one. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Well, uh, not a loved one who likes coffins, perhaps. <laughs> so, you have a, go- a gothic uh, friend. So, why don't we talk about some of the other uh, allusions okay. that are in here? Did you notice any of the other ones? Well, uh, blood and Christ. It was a big one. Um, the trans- sure. transformation. That's, that's yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and transfiguration. Yeah, transfiguration. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the water is water is the uh, uh, actually that water of life. The, right, that's right, the water of life. Mm-hmm. Blood is the water of life. You know what's funny? If you Google that word, it comes mm-hmm. up whiskey. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's how the Scots say it, right? Yeah. <laughs> whiskey is the water of life. Right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that Gaelic word is actually means whiskeys somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's metaphorical, though, right? Right. Uh, there's, no, there's no blood in whiskey that I know of. No, but it's a, it's a metaphorical saying you have to have it. <laughs> okay. Or you die, right? Um, exactly. Well, uh, bread is the staff of life, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The uh, Zagwania is the or, uh, whiskey is the is the breath of uh, the uh, blood of life. Um, so some of the other ones um, uh, included. There was uh, uh, you know there's all the references to the cocoon, right? Mm-hmm. The cocoon. Mm-hmm. She's and and she calls she calls Rick a worm, and she yeah, calls yeah. she says we're all <laughs> worms, right? And and we become. She calls her her uh, her coffin a cocoon, and that she's going like she's dep- she's had clinical depression or something. I- indeed, in a way, it sounds live. it sounds kind of like that, right? But on the other hand, she seems pretty excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, usually when you think about people who are wanting to kill themselves, you know, they're not excited to die. They're doing it because they don't like living. Rather than they, they are excited about death. Oh boy, my death's coming! <laughs> it's like no, it's, it's kind of like a YA novel almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I figure she must be late teens, very late teens, because yeah. she's still living with her family. And, yeah, I, I think uh, it said in the story she was nineteen. I think it said that. It yeah, say, oh, I'm right. almost oh, positive. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too. Wow, okay. nice. Um, yeah, and she somehow she attracts the angels. She has some special power. Right, right. Yeah, she said when she was seven years old, she she tripped or something, and she cut her cut cut her hand cut her mitten cut her hand, and her mitten was full of blood, and she saw the angels, right? Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, she's been obsessed with with uh, them, and and so that's one of the things that uh, she references. She references a bunch of things, including uh, va- uh, Valkyries, right? Right. She says the Valkyries are. Are uh, the same thing as these angels. It doesn't actually say angels in co- until quite late into the story. Yeah, he calls them insects almost. That's it's right, like hmm. the aliens from the Hanging Man. And um, <laughs> and and you remember when she's burned, she's burned to death. Um, uh, her corpse is uh, you know cur- curled up, mm-hmm. and then uh, the word that stood out to me was husk. Right? It's an mm-hmm. empty husk. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then um, she's transformed into the angel. She, she's left her, her old body behind. The chrysalis is gone. And now she's transformed into the butterfly or the insect. And uh, it, was, it was pretty hard. But there's other ones. Um, she says she's a saint or a martyr, almost like yeah, Joan of Arc, maybe. That's right. Uh, he calls her a witch. Yeah, and this she is, says, no, I'm a saint. Calls her a witch, and yeah, she says, "No, I'm a saint." Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, there, that's one I like to look up. Um, but here, here's some more. Um, she says, uh, "If they send me back 
and something went wrong, she broke off and then continued, if they make a mistake, I might be lost between the two regions. I might be absorbed by the free energy. It seems to be partly alive. It's not understood. And then she gets cut off here, but this is interesting. Remember Prometheus and the fire? I see, Rick said, as calmly as he could. Hmm. Right. Prometheus uh, stole the fire from Zeus. Said that right. he and he'd carry a rock and have a crow eat his gizzards every night. And then they would uh, grow back. Uh, I think it was his liver. His liver. Liver, that's right. And it would regrow. Uh, no, it would eat during the day and it would regrow overnight. So right. he's endlessly tortured forever and ever. Uh, which I think we get uh, towards the end of the story, don't you think? Sort of a similar version of that. When she's... Yeah. Was it... Uh, I guess he's imagining, right at the end of the story, he's imagining what what will happen uh, as the ripples from the event that happened um, uh, ripple out into the rest of the world. Here's, it says, um, it would cross the ocean. Soon it would take over the whole world. Africa would be strange. Crawls of white-skinned young women, all exactly alike, going about primitive chores of hunting and fruit gathering, mashing grain, skinning animals, building fires, and weaving cloth, and carefully shaping razor-sharp knives. In China, he grinned inanely, she took strange. She looked strange there too, in the austere high-collar suit, the almost monastic robe of the young communist cadres. Parades marching up and down Main Street of Peiping, row after row of slim-legged, full-breasted girls with heavy Russian-made rifles, carrying spades, picks, shovels, columns of clan cloth-booted soldiers, fast-moving workers with their precious tools, reviewed by the identical figure of the elaborate on the elaborate stand overlooking the street, one slender arm raised, her gentle, pretty face expressionless and wooden. <laughs> it's like, hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a, the world is colonized by this, right? And he seems to overtake it at one point, and then it catches up, and then he overtakes it again, and then it just passes him completely uh, right at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, what do you think's going on? Is 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 this all going on in his head? Did that occur to you at all, or is this this um? It's is it like the no? It it did not occur to me. Yeah, it didn't occur to me that it was going on in his head. But in a Philip K. Dick story, I probably should have considered that. But I, I didn't feel that that was the case. Well, I I, I don't think that's strongly a possibility. But there was a there was a couple things that. That made me um, think that one was um, at one point he's he's driving through uh, I think a suburb of a small town and um, let's see if I've got it here uh, maybe not he's driving through the suburb of a small town and uh, he sees a couple of children walking uh, to school mm-hmm. and there's a dog behind them uh, sort of very happily dancing, chasing after them. And, of course, the two children are, are exactly identical, and they're Sylvia, right? Mm-hmm. And the dog doesn't mind. Hmm. Oh, the dog doesn't get Sylvia's face? No, the dog didn't get Sylvia's face, right? So it's only people that are affected, but men and women are affected, and children. And then, and then I was thinking, 
well, that's strange. That's you know, the, the dog doesn't mind. Um, but then you know he he picks up a um, he picks up a uh, hitchhiker, I, I, and I think he picks up the hitchhiker to test, not because he wants to pick up the hitchhiker. He he picks him up as like a guinea pig sort of. Hmm. Right. He said, he said, uh, he said, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. I'll take you to, he says, oh, I'm going to Chicago. He says, uh, yeah, I'll take you there. That's 200 miles away, he says. And he says, that's okay. I'd take you to New York if you wanted to go there. <laughs> desperate. Mm-hmm. Desperate. Um, so at first he was desperate to get her back, but then I, I guess uh, he didn't want her to be. It was too much for him, and then he didn't want her anymore. Well, yeah. As soon as <laughs> as soon as uh, they go into, I guess they're outside. Betty Lou and he are outside arguing as to what's what whether Sylvia should come back or not. And then Sylvia comes back into the body of Betty Lou, right? right. Mm-hmm. And then they go into the kitchen to see the family, and the family is all turning into Sylvia as well. And he this freaks him out, and he runs out of the house. And then Sylvia starts. I thought it was Sylvia was chasing him at first, but actually it's just Sylvia's colonizing the world. Right. right. Um, and, and then he doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> that's the thing, right? So, so. Uh, You're me, man. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> I need some space. Well. Oh, here, here's that scene. Um. He left the town behind. The car slowed under him as his foot slid heavily from the gas pedal. Two of them walked across this level field together. They carried books, children on their way to school. Repetitions, unvarying and identical. A dog circled excitedly after them, unconcerned, his joy untainted. <laughs> the dog doesn't care. The dog doesn't care at all. Huh. If the dog had Sylvia's face, that would be cool. <laughs> I think it would be distracting, but I think it shows. I, I think it shows that, uh, like, when when the, he get, when the kid gets in the car, right? He's he's acting like a madman. He's he, the kid says, "Slow down, right? You're driving right. too fast." And he says, "No, I I know exactly how fast I'm going." Um, and let's see what it says. Uh, and he turns into Sylvia, the kid. Um. Here it is. Uh, it's 200 miles. Fine, Rick said. He steered over to the left lane and gained speed. If you want to go to New York, I'll drive you there. You feel all right? The youth moved away uneasily. I'm sh- I am sure pre- appreciate the lift, but he hesitated. I mean, I don't want you to take you out of your way. Rick concentrated on the road ahead. His hands gripped hard around the rim of the wheel. I'm going fast. I'm not slowing down or stopping. You, you better be careful, the youth warned in a troubled voice. I don't want to get into an accident. I'll do the worrying. But it's dangerous. What if something happens? It's too risky. You're wrong, Rick w- muttered grimly, eyes on the road. It's worth the risk. But if something goes wrong, the voice broke off uncertainly and then continued. I might be lost. It would be so easy. It's all so unstable. The voice trembled with worry and fear. Rick, please! And at that point, the kid is no longer the kid, right? He's, he's Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so it's like, uh, 
as soon as the, the kid turns into Sylvia, he, he stops the car and pushes her out onto the street. <laughs> he definitely doesn't want to be around right. her, right? Well, he's, he's, um, uh, he's messed up life on the earth, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I mean, that, that's why I, I think he's reacting that way. It's either not that like or he's it, crazy. It's not either an aversion that, to Sylvia. Yeah, either that or he's crazy, and I'm sure he's thinking that too. Yeah. But um, and, and he, he's he, Prometheus now. Yeah. Well, in a way, but it's a it's a Promethean thing that destroys the world. I mean, this literature is full of uh, stories where a guy goes into the underworld and gets back his his dead girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. in a sense, that's what's going on in this story as well. Um, but she she comes back at his prompting. He says, "I'm going to have you back." He he says it over and over again in the in the first third of the story after after uh, she she goes. He says, "I'm going to get you back," or I, "I I must have her back at any cost." He says, "The cost is the is the world." But um, <clears throat> when I was uh, explaining this story in class, when we were talking about it in class with my students, I was I was telling. Now, why why is he so so obsessed with getting her back? I mean, when somebody dies, it's a tragedy, but you wouldn't destroy the world to get get somebody back, would you? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who knows how you're gonna feel when it actually happens? That's to you. right. Well, he he knows how he feels, right? And we sympathize with his his position, but um, if you if you ta- listen to the way people talk, right? It's like. He says, like, part of me died, they say, when someone else dies, somebody you love dies. It's like part of you has died, and you're mourning your loss, because they, they're not feeling anything, right? They're, they're, just, they're just gone. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're mourning your loss. And, uh, and that brought up the, um, the original explanation uh, goes for, for this, goes back to Plato. And Plato had a, uh, a story, he talked about how in the beginning of the universe, human beings were one thing. They were, uh, picture a sphere, right? Mm-hmm. A sphere that had no needs and no wants. It was just a happy thing. And then uh, we offended the gods. Prometheus, perhaps, is, uh, is um, responsible for this. We somehow offended the gods by getting something that was one of theirs, and they punished us. They cursed us for all uh, future kind so that human beings would be broken apart and we would have a need for the other half of us that was always missing, so the male and the female. Mm-hmm. And as they, uh, as people find each other, they say, oh, I found my other half, right? Mm-hmm. You say, uh, we were meant to be together, stuff like this, Right. You and complete it, me. You complete me. All those lines that, <laughs> you know, are so uh, cliche are sort of go back to this initial idea that, that human beings are not, uh, are not complete until they are a couple. They have paired off, as we say. Now, that's why Rick's upset. Right, that's why Rick's upset because he's he his his pair has broken off, and yet what happens in the end of the story? He gets exactly what every human being has ever wanted. 
right, mm -hmm. to be completed again. He is both male and female. He got Sylvia back. He is Sylvia. Hmm. Right? Yep. <laughs> that's what was going through my mind at the end of the story. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, that's good. This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, interesting. We are one. So what, what kind of reactions do you guys have? Well, what did you think? You know, I, I may have, maybe I misunderstood the ending. Maybe I need to listen to it again. But I thought that things got put right, and that oh, no. he he was being taken. Isn't no, the very no, last no. line of the thing him fading away? Uh, let me let me read you the last bit here. Okay, so says, maybe I. The know. late afternoon sky was a deep blue beyond the windows. The roof of the nearby apartment building sparkled white in the sun. His body ached. He wandered clumsily into the bathroom. It seemed alien and unfamiliar, a difficult place to find. He filled the bowl with hot water, rolled up his sleeves and washed his face and his hands in the swirling hot steam. Briefly, he glanced up. It was a terrified reflection that showed him out of the mirror above the bowl, a face tear-stained and frantic. The face was difficult to catch. It seemed to waver and slide. Gray eyes, bright with terror, trembling red mouth, pulse-fluttering throat, soft brown hair. The face gazed out pathetically, and then the girl at the bowl bent to dry herself. She turned and moved wearily out of the bathroom and into the living room. Confused, she hesitated, then threw herself onto a chair and closed her eyes, sick with misery and fatigue. Rick, she muttered, oh, sorry, murmured, pleadingly. Try to help me. I'm back, aren't I? She shook her head, bewildered. Please, Rick. I thought everything was all right. Oh, he's he's definitely. Mm. Yeah, well, he's that's that's for gone. sure. I don't know. I, I missed I missed that exact thing. Um, maybe I would have had also, it if I was listening one, to it in print. I thought she took his place. Yeah, I thought she took his place and he was gone. Uh, so so I guess your interpretation is that that. She has, he has sacrificed himself for her or something? Is that yeah, what you're uh, maybe even unintentionally. But yeah, the, the result of what he did to put everything right was he had to go because, you know, to balance the scales or whatever, he, he had to go. That's what I got out of it. But I, I'll, need to, mm, I, I'll I, need to read it again, and I, I definitely want to. So I don't think that's excluded by what's in the story. I don't think that's excluded, but I don't think it's supported either. Mm -hmm. Um. What I would go back to is if you go back to the original scene in the house when he comes into the house with Betty Lou, who is Sylvia, right? Mm -hmm. um, all the family are sitting around in the living room doing family things, mm -hmm. but they are they're they're described as clay and molten. You know, their faces are changing. Yeah. Um, and as soon as the the spirit of Sylvia fills them up because they're empty, right? they're paused, frozen. Um, as soon as Sylvia f fills them up, they all say, Rick, I cut myself, but then they keep go they go back to exactly what they were doing before uh, they were transmogrified or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the father is still reading the newspaper and, and smoking his pipe. And the, the mother is still making food. And the, the scowling sister is still scowling. <laughs> Wow. So I guess they were yep. inert as they were possessed. And then yes. once she left, they resumed what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Yes.
Now, you guys, you you remember uh, Fair Game? Yeah. Tama, were you on that podcast? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. Well, there's been a couple of uh, ones that Philip K. Dick stories that have um, the cafe scene. You know, the cafe scene that's in a lot of these Philip K. Dick stories. That's in this <laughs> one too. Did you notice that? I did not. <laughs> no. Well, the, the cafe scene you're talking about in yeah. Fair Game is when he's sitting there eating, and the eyeball comes to the to the window. Uh, no, that's 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 in his house. Okay. Um, he gets out on the. Uh, there's always a scene where the the main character has to drive away from whatever problem he's having, so he mm-hmm. he jumps in the car. Yeah, that, that's a off. similarity. Yeah, in Fair Game that happened right. too. Right. Yep. Yeah, he has to drive drive off, and he gets to a gas station, and there's some sort of. Uh, he fills the tank, and then the, he says to the gas attendant, I'll just be right back. I'm just going to go in there for a few minutes. He says, go. And the attendant says, go in where? Right? In fair game, there is no mm-hmm. cafe. It's, a, it's an illusion cafe. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in this one, it's a real cafe. Um, and as he's eating his, his food, uh, everybody in the cafe who was described earlier sort of starts turning into Sylvia, including the, the waitress, right? Mm-hmm. And then he jumps out of the cafe and drives away, trying to get ahead of the uh, the ripple effect of of her. And that I mean that's that's the sort of thing where I I think you know oh that's another possibility where he's crazy. He sort of gets away from his craziness for a while, thinking that everybody's Sylvia, mm-hmm. seeing the face of his dead girlfriend and everyone else. But um, I just I think it's hilarious that in every every Philip K. Dick story of this era that's set on Earth. They're always the main character is always driving uh, across state lines, uh, stopping at a gas station, and filling up his car, and then going into the cafe. <laughs> it's like, like the doves in a John Woo movie. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, and then uh, it's almost the exact same. You know, it's like uh, he could have been if if he was writing today, it would be like a Starbucks or something, because it's the sort of generic same stuff over and over again. It says. Hot, thick smells of cooking ham and black coffee surrounded him. The comfortable sight of people eating. A jukebox blared in the corner. And then he sits down and eats a sandwich that he didn't remember ordering and hmm. and uh, moves on. But, wow. um, yeah, yeah I, I, thought that, I thought that was kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, it was. So what about, um, what about the title? I'm interested to hear what you think uh-huh. about the title. Because you've always got uh, interesting stuff to say about the title. <laughs> is it the obvious? Um, well, she just wants to move on? Yeah, or it's too dull? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dull around here, man. I'm, I'm way past worms. this planet. You know, uh, that's, that's kind of how she sounds in a way, right? Mm-hmm, it is. Um, yeah. And she also, she also sounds like a, a girl who doesn't, you know, she sounds like a teenager. A girl doesn't know what she wants. Because uh, before she dies, she's like, She's she's like yeah I'm gonna die and it's gonna be great and and then after she's dead she's like no they took me too soon mm-hmm. right yeah well yeah. Uh, yeah it was an accident she was sort of playing at death before mm-hmm. sometimes and, it's more fun to want something than to actually get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it doesn't sound like where she's going is very very fulfilling and uh, if you if you go back to the original. Um, you go back to the original uh, uh, the Odyssey, right? The spirits that are uh, drinking the blood, they're not happy at all. They are very disturbed 
um, and they hate their existence. Mm-hmm. Um, they are drinking blood because uh, it's the only thing that mitigates the pain that they're in. And I, th- I think they're re- the recently deceased rather than, um, I think they just haven't found their way to Hades. So it wasn't like a very bleak vision of the afterlife for all time. It was more like, uh, yeah, you're going to have some pain on the earth uh, as a ghost before you get to the afterlife or until you wander into the appropriate uh, cave to get down into the underworld or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think and she and mentions I, that she might be stuck in between. Oh yeah, whatever, heaven and earth. Yeah, and, and she, I, I well, think it fed in. Wrong. It fed into the whole idea that things, um, the natural order of things, was violated. Um, with her wanting to die um, because she wants to move on, and then when she gets there, having it not, it it didn't occur in the correct way. So she was discontented because um, the natural order was messed up. Mm. Uh, I, 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 had, uh, I knew this fact about the title, by the way, uh, that I'm just going to tell you here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it looks like there's a, a decent uh, Wikipedia entry here. Um, let, me, let me just tell you about the, uh, the title. The title comes from uh, Act 4, Scene 2 of Two Gentlemen of Verona by William Shakespeare. Mm. Um, line goes... Then to Sylvia, let us sing that Sylvia is excelling. She excels each mortal thing upon the dull earth dwelling. To her, let us garlands bring. So it's it's definitely directly influenced from this particular huh. uh, play because and, yeah, because her name character. is her right. name is Sylvia. Yeah. Well, also, but Sylvan right means of the wood. Mm-hmm. So I would okay. say uh, you know that the cedars and. And the woods. I mean, I counted at least six mentions of flowers uh, in the story. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's black roses. There's calla lilies. There's uh, uh, posies. Maybe there. There was just. It's full of flowers, and and each each flower has a symbol. And you know, Shakespeare. You, uh, whole dissertations have been done on just the f- flowers in in Shakespeare. So it's a. Uh, it's it's a it's it's a very rich story, but let's just see. Uh, She's a fairy. <laughs> well, it's like that, a, a True Blood. It it actually kind of reminded me of True Blood in a way, you know, um, because her family doesn't have the gift. Uh, the character's family in True Blood doesn't have the gift that she has, you know. Right. Um, her brother it doesn't have any mystical or supernatural powers. Her father. Doesn't, but I think one of her ancestors did, right? Uh, but in this in this story, she's saying the same way: is I'm not I'm not not human. It's just I'm different from you guys. I'm a saint uh, or a witch, right? Mm-hmm. Joan of Arc. <laughs> exactly. They're both. Um, she also mentions I- Icarus. If you want to do another allusion, Icarus. Yeah, you're right. Icarus. Icarus absolutely. Actually, there's there's fly. several more that I I haven't found in my notes here, but um, I wanted to look at this. It says the themes in the competing entry. Old Testament allusions are littered throughout the story. The story assumes that many layers of reality exist. The higher the layer, the more powerful it is. Sylvia states that quote the ladder seems to keep going up and up and up, world after world. These statements con- constitute a kind of fantastic. It says, not really science fictional, explanation, not only 
of creation, but of God's omnipotence. According to them, God is a being who belongs to a higher level of existence and created other beings out of clay with his own hands. Yeah, clay is, I mean, that's that's mentioned about six, seven times right. in the story as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Wonder Woman came from clay. <laughs> I just wanted to put that in. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, then Brian K. Vaughn wrote this great story where Clayface fights Wonder Woman. And he kind of absorbs her. I see. It's a really clever story. It's in a book called Faces. I, I, I it makes me want to read that uh, J. Michael Straczynski Wonder Woman thing that just came out. Uh, yeah, she has pants now. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't much, that's, that wasn't what sold it on me. But you know, the Golem. I think the Golem is a is a great uh, sort of m- more recent mythological or legendary uh, story. Because the golem is made out of clay and gets its power from having God's name written on its forehead, right? Mm-hmm. You just put in, you put the wish of what you want done into the golem's mouth. It it eats it, and it takes that information and then does what you want. It's almost like a sort of a superhero story or something. Oh, there's a Ted Chiang story like that too. Oh, is there? Yeah, Scott, Scott <clears throat> read that one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is, but. Um... Is it seventy two? It's not very science fiction Is it seventy two letters? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the one. You like write stuff on paper and then you give it to a doll or something and then it does something. Hmm. Uh let, let me yeah, just I read, read um let's see, what is that name? Cavalier Cavalier and Clay. Uh okay. The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by um oh. Michael Chebone. Yeah. I read that one a long while back. And that's How got that, that gun's golems in it. <laughs> it's it's excellent. Oh, yeah. great! Excellent book. I've read some of his stuff, and I I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of it. Yeah. Um, I just want to finish this themes thing because this is interesting. It says the universe of this story seems to be more influenced by Gnosticism than by Judeo-Christian religion, and the beings that look like angels are probably not superior to Sylvia. <laughs> Whoever has written this Wikipedia entry has put in their own uh, original research here. Uh, this is a horror story in a... Oh, yeah, it is a horror story. That's true. This is a horror story in the sense that it violates a Christian taboo. The taboo has to do with the assigned place of men in the natural and divine chain of being. Interesting. However, mm. the New Testament theme of transmutation from the ceremony of the Eucharist, where the bread and wine represents the flesh of Christ, might be the dominant one. Mm-hmm. This... Uh, what's it say? This is a theme common in Dick's work, here carrying his characteristic Gnostic twist, where the transmutation goes awry under the hand of a lesser divinity. The angels in the tale are ignorant and capricious. In men- I don't think that's true. I don't think they are capricious. I think they're just, oh, wait, what's capricious mean? Yeah, um, it doesn't, yeah. It does, I think I'm, they're, they're greedy for blood, but I don't think they're, I mean, they give her back when requested. Mm-hmm. And she says the ones who... Uh, it says, given to sudden and unaccountable changes of mood. You know, maybe that's, they are capricious. Yeah. In, <laughs> in many of Dick's works, especially the later ones, the divine figure is plainly malicious. The effect of this is that the entire world is transformed or transmuted into a flawed, inhospitable form, mirroring the effect of Samel, the blind god in Gnosticism. Hmm. Yep, interesting. Yeah, interesting. There's a lot of stuff there that I, I'm not... Uh, mm-hmm. I guess aware of. I know uh, there there are a lot of people who spend <coughs> endless amounts of time talking about Philip T- Philip K. Dick's gnosis, gnosis and 
the religious the religious aspects of Philip K. Dick stuff. Mm-hmm. Here I found the description of Chang's story. Oh. If you're interested. Yeah, please. Um, this is from Stephen Silver's site. Stephen, Still, Stephen Silver has uh, written a review for us before of, I think he wrote one of Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he says, 72 Letters in, is an alchemy punk story set in the Victorian area, era in which Kabbalah, mysticism, functions as science. As with earlier stories like Division by Zero, Chang presents his protagonist, Robert Stratton, as a child first getting interested in experimentation with a toy golem. These early views of Stratton's life are later tied into his mature research. Stratton, and through him Chang, support the idea of cooperation in scientific endeavor and when endeavor, and when Stratton is denied the chance to cooperate, his research stagnates. Since his research indicates that there is a strong possibility of the human race becoming extinct, it is important to overcome the social and scientific Kabbalistic pressures which preclude cooperation. Set in Victorian times, Chang is able to bring up casual racism and classism in a non-offensive way, although it is clear that the problems are still with us. Uh, the story is gripping and clever and raises questions about both science, society, and the way the two work together. That's a pretty mm. good description. And it's a good story too, right? Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> I'm going to read that. Uh, I think I'm going to read that later today because I've got, All right. got that new Tai Chi book I can. Fantastic. In print out. because there's no audio. Yeah. Um, Free Tai Chi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think somebody just needs to to do that. I mean, yeah. somebody should be doing that right right away. It it, it would make a perfect uh, collection because it's even the right length for you know audible sale. Yeah. It's not short. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, one other thing um, that I think mm-hmm. is worth mentioning is um, she mm-hmm. compared herself to Saint Bernadette. I don't know if you guys yeah, know who Saint Bernadette one, that's is. The saint. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, saint, you know anything about saint yeah Bernadette. Saint Bernadette is someone who had visions of um, the Virgin Mary in Lourdes, okay. France, and uh, she's uh, you know a famous saint in the Catholic Church now. So they, you know, she had a bunch of apparitions of the Virgin Mary and she was, so just like the Sylvia in the story was having visions of the yeah. angels, right? Yeah, they talk about a church, not not a church, a hospital. Mm-hmm. There's a hospital nearby, is that the St. Bernadette we're talking about? Um, Unless it's a different St. Bernadette, same, I don't think so. In Lourdes, France is where this St. Bernadette lived and she was in the 1800s. And then they built a big church. Lords is kind of a famous place for Catholics. Yes, it's a pilgrimage place, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't recall. I don't know uh, what you're talking about. The hospital. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Oh uh, well, I'll see if I can find that. But here's here's another uh, part passage I highlighted that I thought was really nice. You know, because there's this theme. You know, transformation from a worm into a butterfly, right? And when, uh, when I read this story with students, um, uh, I, I stop it uh, before we get to the actual description of, of what those things are. I mean, it just says white figures, right? Mm-hmm. Winged white figures that are perfect. And we're getting their description, but we aren't getting a, a label. And, and um, part of the, I think part of the power of, I, I mean, you might have noted of it at the end, 
um, is is Philip K. Dick really cares about the way the story is told, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the story, we get that that um, the third person switch from male to female, um, and there's no judgment uh, associated with it other than stating it, right? It's not like um, uh, we get a description. It's like it's from somebody's mind, but it's not. It's, it's sort of told from the authorial point of view, but we don't ever see inside a character's mind. Hmm. It's third person description of what's happening, but we also get a uh, 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 the authorial view so that we know what's happening, but he doesn't give us anything except what he tells us, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we interpret it, it could be angels. I thought they were butterflies or... Yeah, I, I actually thought fairies at first, right? Because they're they're white and they're out in the woods, right? They're dancing around, and then the blood. He said, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, um, you know, that, the, you may have just him. hit upon the reason why Philip K. Dick is so popular for movies. I mean, it's not only right. the ideas, but the if if his stories are all written in a in a way where he's not getting inside their head, that makes uh, you know that's what scripts do. It's hard to get inside a ah, person's head true. in a movie. Yeah, there's a lot of visual effects in this story too. There is. It, it really would make <laughs> a fantastic well. uh, movie. Uh, you know, a short movie. You could make it very cheaply. Yeah, you could make it as a very cheap short. Yeah, movie. Yeah, and it would be excellent. Uh, like an outer limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I think it I think it's a uh, pretty amazing and perhaps near perfect short story because. Um, I keep after each reading, I come away a little bit different, different uh, takeaway, and it makes me want to read other books. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's no question I'm going to read this story again. So uh, let me just let me just uh, read this little scene that I I uh, highlighted here. If I can spot it, there it is. All right. So this is um, this is. Uh, page 90, so this is, uh, you know, it's 90 in the... It's uh, By the way, this is a novelette. I, get, I don't know if you guys n- knew that. It, it's not a short story. It's a novelette. Mm. Um, runs just about an hour long on the audiobook. And... Um, uh, what is it, like 30 pages? Yeah, it's uh, something like that. But there's, there's illustrations which are pretty interesting in, in themselves. Um, so... Rick says, so this is, uh, this is, um, this is in the scene right after the one where the the boy is in the car and he turns into Sylvia. Um, the voice lightened, became clear and troubled. The hair faded to rich brown, gray, frightened eyes flickered up at Rick. Hands frozen. He hunched over the wheel and forced himself not to move. Gradually, he decreased speed and brought the car over into the right-hand lane. And then Sylvia says, are we stopping? The shape beside him asked. It was Sylvia. And, and then I love this description here. Like a new insect drying in the sun, the shape hardened and locked into firm reality. Sylvia struggled up in the sea. Blah, 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 right? This is, this is like, um, it is a butterfly, right? She, she was right. It was a cocoon because the description of, by Philip K. Dick of what's going on could be coming from his, the character's description, or it could just be a authorial description. And that ambiguity allows us to 
enjoy enjoy it without making any judgment as to whether it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. accurate or inaccurate. Hmm. Um, and then going back to the um, the scene where they're in the ki- they're in the kitchen, I guess it was. Um, the uh, yeah, where was it? Oh, this is this is a this is uh, okay. I promise to stop quoting after this. How about that? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you should do the audiobook, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I audio commentary. To. Yeah. Uh, well, what, while you're looking um, at that up, this, I could. Oh, go ahead. Did you find it? Uh yeah, I've got I've got it. A uh, okay. couple of yeah, the couple nice things in here. Okay, so uh, this is her description of of when she was a kid. She says, "When I was a child, my mother read to me about Saint Bernadette." Yeah, this is this is it here. Remember where uh, her cave was? I, I didn't, but <laughs> she tells mm-hmm. us near a hospital. They were hovering there, and she saw one of them. But the blood—it's grotesque. There never was anything like that. Oh yes, the blood draws them. Lamb's blood, especially. They hover over battlefields, Valkyries carrying off the dead to Valhalla. That's why the saints and martyrs cut and mutilate themselves. You know where I got the idea? Sylvia fastened a little apron around her waist. I love so she's talking about saints and martyrs and you know these things, and then it goes straight into the practical, the hard uh, reality with brand name. Listen to this: Sylvia fastened a, a little apron around her waist and filled the silex with coffee. Uh, silex is mentioned like four or five times in the mm-hmm. story. It's like silex. Yeah, what is that? That's, that's a brand name of coffee makers, like Mister Coffee. Um, Never heard of it. <laughs> when I was nine years old, I read of it in Homer in the Odyssey. Ulysses dug a trench in the ground and filled filled it with blood to attract the spirits, the shades from the netherworld. That's right, Rick admitted reluctantly. I remember. The ghosts of people who died, they had lived once. Everybody lives here, then dies and goes there. Her face glowed. She's so happy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> We're all going to have wings. <laughs> We're all going to fly. We'll all be fitted with the fire and power. Filled with fire and power. We won't be worms anymore. Worms? That's what you always call me. Of course you're a worm. We're all worms. Grubby worms. Creeping over the crust of the earth. Through the dust and the dirt. Why should blood bring them? Because it's life. And they're attracted by life. Blood is usagwe bretha. The water of life. Blood means death. A trough of spilled blood. It's not death. When you see a caterpillar crawl into the cocoon, do you think it's dying? <laughs> wow. She's the girl from Twilight. She is. She is. Yeah. She. She is looking for an abusive relationship. <laughs> abusive relationship with death. Have to live forever. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I wanted to mention um, where it we got so the audio version from. Um, the audio version is from yes, Blackstone please. Audio, and it's in the uh, the selected stories, right? I don't have it in front of me. The selected stories of Philip K. Dick, Volume selected Two. Stories of Philip K. Dick, Volume Two, and it's track number two, I believe, mm-hmm. or it's story number two. Story anyways. number two, right? Yep. Yeah, in the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the reader was pretty good. Yeah, me too. I did too. Um, I I do think though that this story is best read aloud. I I just yeah. uh, having read it. You know, as a, as a. Uh, That's how you read it. 
Well, I read it as a paper copy first, and I thought, oh, this is an interesting story. And then um, I read it aloud uh, in class with the other, you know, I say the other students. I'm a student, too, (laughs) uh, with my students. And we took turns and talking about what the words mean and talking about what's going on in the story and discussing it. And um, and then listening to it, I think there's... There, there's just some stories that have so much um, uh, going on in them. I think that you need to be able to do it at your own pace. Whereas if you've got uh, more factual, uh, a more factual-based one, a nonfiction, or if it's an action-based one, I don't think there's any problems in audiobooks in that way. But if it's a short story like this, it may, or no, no, novelette like this, I think it may need to be able to be paused and, you know, poured over. And, and just even to see the capitalization on he and him, to, mm-hmm. to know that they're talking about not some, some previous adventure, but <laughs> that, oh, that's, they're referring to either Jesus or God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I listen to an audiobook in the car, sometimes I, I miss a really small detail, but then it totally throws me off, and it's not easy to just rewind it and yeah that that occurs to me too on this story i did um i started it three different times um because, oh really yeah at, at a at a certain point but that happens to me sometimes you know i get distracted well i think i think there's just so much going on so quickly mm-hmm. in this story that you you do need to be able to just wait what what just happened yeah and go back and read that line again <laughs> i mean uh, in making my notes the final time here I was just comparing the uh, the audiobook version to the uh, the the original PDF of mm-hmm. the um, oh, not the PDF the the original story that I made a PDF out of um, from the magazine and there was a couple of uh, I think there was one typo they fixed and then there's a couple lines they added and a, uh, a word or two they changed mm. um, not sure not sure why other than probably just different copies of the same story uh, but the um, it's a good story. What yeah. do you guys think? I, I really loved it. I thought it was terrific. And now I want to read it again and catch all the stuff that I missed. I think I think you should do it with Julie. I'd yeah. love to hear what's, what you guys yeah. have to say about it. Yeah, she'd love it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know Philip K. Dick was so uh, like fantastical. This is well, like, uh, this is the weird, most fantasy right? story I've read of his, I think. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he would be more like a like Twilight Zone, like it's mostly realistic, and then there's some little twist. But this is really out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it is a Twilight Zone, but I think I think maybe it's a the, high budget Twilight Zone, <laughs> very <laughs> high budget. But I think it's it's more a horror than it is science yeah. fiction or fantasy. Yeah, more like Outer Limits, like because of the way of the you know the ending is just uh, it's 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 kind of a noir ending, right? It's noir, horror, science fiction, fantasy. Right. This thing's got everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Jesse, do you watch anime? No, I don't. Oh, no, this is anime called Berserk. Uh-huh. And this story kind of, kind of reminds me of it because there's these weird demons with wings and stuff in it. Uh-huh. And it kind of reminded me of this. Okay. Yeah. I, I, every time I watch an anime, I say, like, uh, I watched the the one Neil Gaiman did the translation for. What was it? The, um, oh, Princess Mononoke? Yeah, that one. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. What the hell's going on? <laughs> <laughs> this is really interesting. Why does this story logic make any sense to anyone? 
that's the best director though, Miyazaki. Any Miyazaki yeah. anime is like the best best ones. I, I liked it, but I can't say I understood it. Right. Um, I think I think there. You know, when I watch a Japanese movie, um, I generally don't understand it unless it's by uh, uh, Toshiro, not Toshiro Mifune, the guy who directed all the Toshiro Mifune movies, uh, Akira Kurosawa. Okay. Akira Kurosawa, I say, okay, I understand everything that's going on, right? But then I see... Think of the Akira movie? Uh, yeah, but see, that's just that's that's not related at all, right? That's okay. just a, it's not the same guy. Akira Kurosawa did like um, Rashomon, you know, that's sort of a story that's been done a million times since then. Um, uh, anyways, watch Rashomon, you'll see. Uh, he did. Uh, he's done a bunch of movies that have been ripped off and made into uh, other movies by like The Good and the Bad and the Ugly or something like that, right? They they're just totally redone as American movies. They don't have to change the plot at all. Seven Samurai, for example, right? Not his best movie. Oh, I thought you were talking about anime. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't understand Japanese storytelling. I, okay. I, I don't understand, unless it's Akira Kurosawa, then I say, it makes total sense. Right. You know, it's like, everything follows logically. I, I can see why this thing is happening, but when I, I watch a non-Akira Kurosawa story, or read a non- Kurosawa Japanese story. I say, what the hell is going on in this, and why am I not being able to understand it? I guess there's a cult- cultural divide. Maybe. Yeah, you have to go to the convention and wear a costume, then you'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, going to the convention in the first place and wearing the costume in the first place, I still don't understand that. Right. I can barely understand. I can barely understand the people wearing the stormtrooper costume. <laughs> I say. I understand that you're wearing a Stormtrooper costume. What I don't understand is why you're wearing a Stormtrooper costume. Other than maybe it's fun. But you have to dress like Cowboy Bebop, but then you'll understand everything. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the name, but I don't know who Cowboy Bebop is. So That's another really good anime that's been on uh, TV, on okay. the Cartoon Network. What, what, what is the most um, uh, European-slash-North-American-style anime story that you've seen? Uh, accessible for uh, a foolish person like me. Um, well, my favorite one is Project Echo, but that's a really crazy one. No, no, you don't start with crazy. You have to. Oh. I have to understand it before I can appreciate it. Well, like uh, Miyazaki Spirited Away won an Academy Award. But, uh, uh, I saw that and I said, "What's going on in this?" Okay. Story, because I think I think there's a whole bunch of background assumptions that are built in that all the audience knows, and I have no idea what they are, and then I just don't understand it. So it's like, um, if you didn't know what the references to capital H he and capital H him in this story were, you'd be confused there, right? You have to know right. that there's some sort of uh, talking about God. Well, it's it's also talking about Adam and Eve, right? Clay. Mm-hmm being made from clay, and uh, also Jesus coming back uh, as a uh, resurrected dude, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the question is, um, what is there one that is a little less... Uh, well, Cowboy Bebop is basically noir in space. Noir in space, okay. Maybe you could uh, follow that one. All right, I'll look it up and see if there's a review that makes it sound okay. like it's comprehensible. Because <laughs> I, 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 I don't like not understanding what's going on. 
I mean, Miyazaki is probably the most successful one. Okay. But uh, you've seen a couple of his movies. Hey, uh, speaking of things you don't understand, uh, you know, Solaris? Yeah, Luke just did the review. I'm going to listen to that today. Hmm. Um, and I'm looking forward to the audiobook, I hope, uh, because I've seen both the Ru- Russian version of Solaris and the American version of Solaris, and I didn't understand either of them very well. <laughs> I understand it, what, what the basic plot is. I just don't understand why the things are happening exactly. What's the and point? I, well, I think there needs to be interpretation. I need somebody to say, okay, here's what's going on, and this is my interpretation as to why this is happening. And then I say, oh! Right? I'm sure if you call Eric Rapkin, he can explain it to you. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. He, he wanted to, you, you know, he wanted to do a watch-along. Oh, yeah, that's right. He we mentioned can, we, that. We can hang out on Google+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on Google+, Plus, we can simultaneously watch a video. Well, um, I, I, sent, uh, I sent him uh, Just Imagine, you know, that, that 1930s movie. Oh, right? yeah. It had been released mm-hmm. on DVD. Um, and he, he was very enthusiastic about it, as was I. I mean, I, I thought that, was, that thing was really terrific. And it's a musical. It's crazy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy movie. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of stuff that, like, if I was trying to explain it to my students, I was saying, okay, so the reason they're having this, this drinking song and they're making the, this kind of joke is because this was the era of prohibition. <laughs> and then I have to explain what prohibition is. There's a whole bunch of background assumptions you need to understand uh, when watching it. So. Yeah, but we could just mm. put something on the TV at the same time, and then we can yeah. record what there's, we're saying. There's a podcast called Hey, Want to Watch a Movie that we, I've been on. That's how they do it. Everybody wow. puts their DVD, and they get to the opening scene, they press pause, and then everybody says, unpause, or something like that. <laughs> and then it's like a commentary track. But Didn't the, uh, what is it, the MST 3000 guys make recordings that you can play during a movie and then make fun of the movie? <laughs> Any movie, <laughs> generically? No, I guess about like bad movies. Uh, I remember well, the, that was guys the show, puppets, right? so they used to be on TV. Yeah, I think they have a podcast now where you just oh, play really? their MP3 during a movie, and then it makes fun of the movie. <laughs> I assume that it's for a specific movie, right? Yeah, for specific bad movies. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Not just any movie. Yeah, it doesn't have to. See, that's the cool thing about a uh, a watch along podcast where you you do that you can do a commentary track on on a movie that's not in the public domain because you're not actually using the sound from it right right uh so i did one uh with the thing the original uh, sorry oh. the original the earlier the middle version black and white one? Oh, no the john carpenter oh, one? no uh, uh no but there is there is uh, one podcast on the site that uh, i posted about that has done the original the original movie version of the thing and then i did one with uh, a bunch of other people on the second version of the thing, and now there's the third version of the thing coming this this summer, is it? Soon. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw I that. You know, um, I went and saw Captain America last night. Pretty good movie. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Pretty good movie. Um, but during the, or, uh, the previews before that, there was a movie mm-hmm. coming out called The Amazing Spider-Man. Which is another? Yeah, they're starting it over. I couldn't believe it. it. It was they start over with a new Spider-Man, and this is how he turns into Spider-Man and everything. I was just like, "You got to be kidding me!" Isn't that weird? I guess they ran I out. I see. Juice I, that, that's no, something. Talk about a culture I don't understand. The comic book culture, where 
<laughs> you know, things are constantly that's rebooted. That was crazy comic people. Yeah, it's, it's culture, just odd, you know. So, I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man was a really good movie, and it wasn't that long ago, and they're remaking it. It's just odd. In 20 years from now, they're going to have the movie starts, and they're going to get about halfway into it, and they say, you know what? This movie's already outdated. Let's start it again. <laughs> starts halfway. Because yeah. that way, your attention span will not be... Uh, hmm. Hey, lost. what I did um, find out yesterday that was very cool. It, one of the guys that I was with uh, for this movie, um, he said, "Yeah, they're making a movie with Iron Man and Captain America and blah blah blah." So I looked it up, and it's they sure as heck they are. It's called The Avengers, and Joss Whedon yeah. wrote it, mm-hmm, and yeah. he's directing. I didn't know that, so I'm excited. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Joss Whedon's so, doing it, so it should based be good. On the ultimate, <laughs> one of my favorite comic books. Oh, really? So, Scott, I wanted to ask you. Did yeah. you know uh, that uh, the the uh, Captain America movie will not be called Captain America in all the countries of the world? I did not. I did not know no. that. Uh, apparently, the Captain America brand, the br- um, the brand naming America, doesn't sell in <laughs> in some countries. Uh, so you go to the movie theater and you see Captain America <laughs> on the top. Maybe you might get pelted. So so I wonder what they're gonna. <laughs> this is the first Avenger. Uh, oh, Captain the first Avenger. Avenger. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine well, they like, can change uh, his uniform. Uh, it's got stars and stripes no, all over but it. it. But uh, they'll digitally it, put in like an Italian flag. There you go. It's interesting <laughs> because in in uh, in some countries, like in Germany, for example, they're not allowed to have uh, swastikas uh, in in anything that isn't uh, historical uh, reproduction of something that's set during world war ii right if it's a historic if it's history then it's okay but if it's if it's like a uh video game mm-hmm. that's you know got zombies in it and you've got nazis they can't have swastikas so games like castle wolfenstein return to wolfenstein though those games they have nazis but they don't have swastikas <laughs> the flags are like uh non-swastika flags so uh it may be a case of uh it's time to end the podcast. <laughs> they, they turn into a checkerboard square instead. It's it's a case of it's time to end the podcast because we're going to go okay. long. Well, we jumped the shark. <laughs> we jumped the shark. All right. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.